0: As we talk about what it looks like to have a healthy relationship and or have a healthy marriage Now if you're here, who is this sermon for? Well, because some of you are like, I'm not married, I don't think this is really for me Well, I want to kind of pop that bubble because if you're single or ever hoping to be married, this series is for you In fact, today's talk, I'm talking more to the singles than I am the married people Because let's be honest with you married people, we've kind of already messed it up, have we? I mean, with some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, you're going to be going, oh, yeah, I used to believe that. Because today we're talking about marriage myths, myths that all of us believe when it comes to marriage. And I would say that every married person in here, from one time or another, we believe that, and now we kind of shake our heads going, I can't believe I believe that, right? And single people, some of you, you're going to be in here and you're like, man, I think that's true. And one of the things that I want to do is I want to look at God's Word and I want to be able to say, you know, some of the things that we believe about marriage, about relationships, about dating are just not true. They're misinformation that we've gotten from movies or books or television or any of that stuff. So um, we're going to kind of dive into this with this marriage myth, all right? Marriage myth, because the reason why we've got to kind of pop these bubbles of amiss is simply if we believe this stuff, then we're going to become disillusioned. We're gonna become unsatisfied, disappointed when things doesn't happen the way we think it's gonna happen, like in movies. Let me just say this. Do you know that especially reality TV, that what makes people want to watch reality TV is conflict and how jacked up somebody is, right? I mean, if somebody said, "Chris, I want to take your marriage and your real life, and I want to create a reality television show about it," let me tell you, nobody would watch it. They weren't because if you had a marriage, and if you even had a healthy marriage, with like, with you know, it's just nobody's going to want to watch that. I mean, nobody's going to want to watch, and they're going to be flipping the show after two minutes into it. But what we're attracted to is conflict. What we're attracted to is like car wrecks and train wrecks. So today, if you're thinking, I want my marriage to be more like what I see on TV, I'm just going to say that's a little jacked up. Because what you see on TV is jacked up. All right? First marriage myth. Let's get into it. Ready? First marriage myth is simply this. That the past is the past. The past is the past. Now, again, there's a lot of you, uh, those who are married, let me talk to us in here just for a moment, you kind of believe this myth that the past is the past and that when you got married, that this was, I mean, this was a new thing and everything was new about you and it was a total fresh beginning and you thought that all of your past stuff, your past dating, your past sexual experiences, your past relationships, that all of that was in the past and that the past was over, that the past really didn't matter anymore. But you realized, you realized, you know what? That that stuff in the past, it never stays in the past. It never stays in the past. Uh, Think about this. For those that are not following with me, right now is your present. August 16th, right now is your present. But guess what? Next week, your present tense right now is going to be where? In your past all right? Because your past, your present will become your past. And guess what? Your past will show up in your future. That how you date, how how you treat the people of the opposite sex, what you do, how far you go on a date, things of that nature. All of what you look at, what you read, the movies you watch, how you think relationships should go, that all of that past up will show up in your future. It will. It will. So remember, how you date single people, how you date is going to affect how you connect with your future spouse. So be careful. Be careful. All right, another marriage myth. Marriage myth number two that people who are married have married problems. That is a myth. All right, now let me, let me explain to you what a married problem is. All right, if you're married, here's what a married problem looks like you have a tube of toothpaste. How do you get the toothpaste out? Do you roll it up from the bottom? Do you squeeze it from the middle? Or do you just just have separate tubes? That's a married problem, right? Here's another married problem. How do you put the toilet paper on the roll? Do you do it over or under? Okay, those that said uh, under, you are incorrect. Thank you so much for coming to One Church. All right, you go over. Now, some of you, you're like, no, over is, if I do it over, my cat will do it. Well, there's your second problem. You have a cat, all right? Anyway, thanks for coming to One Church. All right, um, you need to know this. This is not in my notes, but I, it's totally from Second Opinions in the Bible that God made all of the animals from day one through six, and on day seven, Satan made cats. All right. Here's the thing. Here's the issue. Those are married problems, and please don't walk out because you love cats. All right. Again, I'm just saying. I'm I'm joking. It's a joke. Not really. Anyway, but. Married people don't have married problems. Here, let me tell you what happens. is single people, you have problems. And when single people problems get married, they drag their single people problems into their marriage. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's the reason. Here's your pushback. I feel like I don't believe that because when, it's only when I got married that I started having problems. No, you had problems a long time before that. You did. Think about it people just didn't know you or maybe they didn't love you enough to tell you that you've got some problems, right? But when there's something about marriage, when you take two people and you put them in close proximity, right? And they're really close and you're, you're sharing the same house and the same bed and the same room and the same bathroom, dear Jesus, right? I mean, you're just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to well up where you now you've been impatient all along but now she always does this and she never does this, right? I mean, you had those problems before, but it just just didn't come out or it didn't flare up like that. So let me tell you, people with problems get married and they drag their problems into their marriage. People who have troubles get married, and now they drag their troubles into their marriage, and now they have a troubled marriage. And marriage brings all of that stuff to the surface. Selfishness comes out. Stubbornness comes out. Impatience comes out. Wanting to control somebody. All of that comes out. But it was all there before. Alright, now, next myth, don't put it on the screen yet, but this next myth's a doozy. It's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time on. Because our next marriage myth revolves around great love stories. How many of y'all love great love stories? Alright, I, okay, I, you're a guy, I'm a guy, I like, I like but, but, but he didn't, but Amy didn't, I don't understand it. Alright, I am a, I love chick flicks. I do, alright. Um, now, there's some chick flicks I don't like, alright. The notebook's a little creepy all right? Dying in somebody's arms at the same time, I'm not down for that, right? Um, uh, you might want to get that checked out, go to a doctor. I'm just telling you, all right? But, but some, ch- I, I love some chick. now some of y'all, I like, you, you're not even listening to anymore because you're like, I love Nicholas Sparks. Okay. Okay. You can love him. That's cool. I just—that's a little weird to me. But here's the thing: great love stories. All of us love great love stories. We're attracted to great love stories. That we watch, we read novels, and you know, twenty, thirty pages into the novel, or maybe two to three chapters into it, you're like, okay, that person's going to get with this person, and you're like, oh, right, that's cool. And or when you go watch a movie, and you're like, you know, twenty or thirty minutes into it, oh, this person's going to connect with this person. It's like, oh. I mean, it's a great love story, and they finally find one another, and they're just right for one another. Or, or maybe it's a television. How many of y'all watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? Let me see your hands. All right, wow, uh, none of y'all. I see. Here is what I think. I think you do, but you're, you're you're just like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna confess that in church. All right, let me tell you about The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. The whole premise of this show is that The Bachelor, is, he, he has a, a, a bunch of women that he can choose, and they kind of get voted off the island, you know, they're, they're, everything gets snuffed out, and, and hopefully at the end of the season, that The Bachelor has chosen the right person, or The Bachelorette, that she has chosen Mr. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Do you know out of 19 seasons of The Bachelor that only one couple are still together? Only one couple have, have chosen to stay together and chose well, and that is Sean and Catherine. They got married, they're still married. And out of 11 seasons of The Bachelorette, three contestants chose well and that are still married. Ryan and Trista, Desiree and Chris, and JP and Ashley. Now the others, they've moved on to find the next right person. And then there's Claire, who's still crying. By the way, every one of you who laughed, you've been watching it! You've lied to me, and I'm offended. All right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, I realize that you and I realize that movies and television and books, that that doesn't represent real life. I mean, really, reality TV, there's nothing reality about it. I realize that you realize that, but I think it's possible that you may have embraced the underlying premise that holds all of these storylines together and episodes together, and here it is, it's called the right person myth. That if I marry the right person, then everything will be all right. Can you say that with me? If I marry the right person, then everything will be all right. Or if you're single, uh, let's say this, when I meet the right person. Let's change this, when when I meet the right person. Can you say that if you're single? When I meet the right person, then everything will be all right. All right, there it is. That once you find the right person, then everything is just going to magically be all right. And the reason why that's a myth is because the current statistics of divorce tells us it's a myth. Here's the current statistics. About 50% of first marriages end in divorce, 67% of second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Now consider this, consider this. Every man... And every woman who've navigated the pain and complexity of divorce, every one of them stood at the altar in front of a priest or a preacher or a justice of the peace and they thought, I am marrying Mrs. Wright. I am marrying Mr. Wright. None of them went into this going, I'm going to get divorced in five years. No one ever does that, right? They thought they were marrying Mr. or Mrs. Wright only to find out that Mr. or Mrs. Wright wasn't, they weren't that right, right? They discovered something that wasn't right about them. Now, and then many of them, uh, it happens that when you're married to 1.0, they're starting to look for 2.0, right? They're starting to look for Mr. and Mrs. Right in the next one. I mean, let me tell you, let me just say this. Right, I'm going to talk about this. How do you know that you've married the right person? The thing I would like for you to remember is chemistry. The reason why you know that you've married the right person is that you have chemistry or you have passion. right? I mean, it just happens and you meet her you meet him and you just talk all the time. I mean, your your phone bill, I remember uh, talking to a girl on the phone for six hours, long distance. And when my parents got the bill, oh Lord Jesus, it was not good, right? But we just talked. There was connection. I, I, and, I mean, he just kind of, you always were just wanting to hang out with him and he was always wanting to hang out with you and you just had so much fun together and you were just drawn together. You had so much in common and uh, you thought about her all the time and you couldn't keep, you know, your mind off of him and he couldn't keep his mind and other things off of you, right? I mean, it was just, it was, I mean, there was just this attraction and there was passion and there was heat and you had chemistry, and you said, "Oh, this is it. We're right for one another. You're Mr. Right, you're Mrs. Right." And then you know what happens? They get married, and what happens is they have problems. And you know what I tell you? They don't have chemistry problems. They have relationship problems because they never, ever had to work on relationships. They never had to really work on themselves. And they just thought, you know what, all about past junk and all that stuff, it's just going to magically disappear and all of this stuff. And now they get married and they start having issues and they start getting in the same house and the same bed and all this stuff. And it just kind of starts, it starts kind of fizzling. And the passion and the chemistry, it's still there, but it's starting to get dimmer and dimmer. So you know what? The guy, he has this broad idea. You know what we need is we need to have more sex, right? Because that brings passion to it. And then the the lady, she says, I know what we need. It's time for us to make a Right, so yeah, and that's brilliant, right? I mean, we're kind of both miserable, so let's bring another person into this miserable relationship, and that's going to fix it. right? See, right now, no married people are looking at one another because they're going, I cannot believe we used to believe that, right? I just cannot believe. But I'm telling you, single people, I'm telling you, it happens. And see, they had chemistry... They had passion, but they didn't really know how to relate to one another. They didn't really know how to work on their own junk. And their own junk starts suffocating the chemistry and the passion. And they, you know what? And the guy says, okay, let's have a baby because in order to have a baby, we have to have more. Right? All right. So let's talk about, all right, I'm just saying, right? So they go into this and they kind of pull the goalie. And they're like, okay, did I just say pull the goalie in church? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Send your emails to Justin at onechurch.tv. All right. Anyway, but they kind of do that and they get pregnant, and they're like, oh, and they're like, this is gonna make it alright. And then the baby comes. And I mean, the the last trimester, she hasn't gotten any sleep, right? She hasn't. He hasn't probably gotten a lot of sleep. And then they have the baby. And now you have two people getting no sleep. None whatsoever and they're trying to navigate this new normal and I mean and there isn't any passion yet I mean they kind of thought they had chemistry but then now they're start he's starting to think maybe I married the wrong person and she's thinking maybe he wasn't mr. Right after all and he goes to work and as he's doing his reports he looks up and you know, he sees somebody else. And, and he starts thinking, wow, I think maybe she's the right person. Man, I mean, she's, she's pretty. I mean, she's funny. And they start experiencing the, the chemistry that he used to have with his spouse. And she goes to the gym. And speaking of Jim, I connected with Jim on Facebook, and we were prom dates, and man, I can't believe how great he looks and he's not in a relationship, and I just, I'm not that happy. And I wonder if he would like to maybe just do, just do drinks or just do lunch. And it starts to happen, and the passion and the chemistry starts to suffocate. And all of this revolves around this whole idea that if I meet the right person, then everything will be all right. So what do you do when you realize you've met, you've married the wrong person? What do you do? I mean, do you stick it out for the kids? Do you stay in the relationship because, you know, the Bible tells you to? Uh, do you get out of the relationship uh, so that you can find the right person? Now, again, there's some of you who are here this morning, you're thinking, how did he know? I mean, some of you are thinking, I think I married the wrong person. If that's you, please don't raise your hand. This is not an all skate. Don't like, that was me. Don't do that yet, all right? In fact, don't do that ever all right but i'm telling you all of us we've struggled there's been some of us and in every relationship it's like was this a mistake Uh, maybe this wasn't what i really wanted to do did i marry the wrong person well let me just go ahead and bust your bubble because i told you this is marriage miss did you marry the wrong person yes you did thanks for coming to one church Right. I mean, did you marry? Because the, right, the reason why you married the wrong person is because the right person doesn't exist. The right person is a fairy tale. The, that there's one person out there that's just only made for you sounds great in a movie, but it's bunk. It's not, it's not so. And the reason why I know this is because all of us, we think we have this Jerry Maguire moment. You complete me, right? you had me at hello okay let me tell you the bible never ever 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 talks about another person completing someone it's not in there in fact if you want to go home and start getting into god's word you will realize that the bible is very silent on you trying to find the right person it is it, you, i mean there's nothing in there about you finding the right person it's not there. In fact, let me tell you what the Bible says about right people. This is what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there are no right, perfect people. The Bible says that whoever you marry... As the, you're going to marry somebody who struggles with sin and bad habits. You're going to marry someone who struggles with self-centeredness and who struggles with being selfish. You're going to marry somebody who's experienced brokenness in some painful type of way. You're going to marry somebody who falls short. So let's just debunk this myth once and for all. The myth that if I marry the right person, everything's going to be all right, is wrong. Because there are no right people out there. There isn't a perfect person for you because you are not perfect. And if you're trying to find somebody who can complete you, you complete me. The only person who can do that is your heavenly father who made you. You see, you're trying to ask somebody to be something for you that no one can be for you except God. Let me tell you, a lasting marriage does not hinge on finding the right person. It hinges on becoming the right person. This is our big idea. A lasting marriage hinges on becoming the right person, not finding the right person. And if you're single here, let me ask you a question. Are you the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you becoming the person you're looking for is looking for? It's like, you know, we, you have a list. You know, okay, I want him this and I want her to be like this. I mean, we have those lists. So, my question is, are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you becoming that? Are you becoming, intentionally becoming, the person that you are looking for and you are scouring and searching? Are you becoming Mr. Wright? Are you becoming Mrs. Wright? I mean, and it's got to be intentional. Now, here's, again, something interesting. The Bible never, ever talks about how to find the right person. But the Bible speaks over and over and over about you changing to become the right person. When you open the pages of Scripture, the Bible gives us some, fat- some fantastic insights into becoming the right person. Not finding the right person, but becoming. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, some of you, you had this chapter read at your wedding. Some of you know this. In fact, some people, they call this the what chapter? The love chapter. In fact, if if I had Barry White reading 1 Corinthians 13, I would do it, right? I'm just saying. But it's called the love chapter. And Paul, who's writing this, is going to give us a list. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're single, here's what I want you to do with this list. I want you to memorize it. I want you to look at this list, and I want you not only to compare every date that you have, but I want you to compare yourself to this list. And if you're married, here's what I want you to do, is I I want you to intentionally focus on becoming these characteristics. Here's how Paul talks about, about love. He says this, that love is what? Love is patience. You know what patience means? Patience means that love never pressures the other person. Love never pressures the other person. Love creates as much space, as much margin, as much time as the other person needs. So if you're in a relationship right now, you're single, and you're in a relationship and they're trying to pressure you into something, let me tell you, that is not love. I don't know what they're doing to you, but it's not love. If you, in a past relationship, if you thought you found the one... Or maybe you're married and you thought, you know what, I found the one. But that person is trying to always change you and to push you and to control you and to nag you. Again, don't look at your spouse right now. Not a good time. They're not loving you very well. They're not loving you very well. And let me tell you, singles, this just doesn't magically happen when you say, I do. You have to start working on being patient now. Because... Single people problems get pulled into married in a marriage and, and now they become Single people problems in a marriage, right? Now look at this next one. Love is patient. Love is Kind that's kind of a weak word, but let me kind of tell you what kindness is kindness Just means that it's considerate It's considerate. You know what that could, can being considerate means considerate means that you take into consideration the other per the way the other person feels all the time. You take into consideration the way the other person feels all the time. If you're single, do you know what I'm suggesting? I'm not suggesting that you wait until you find the one and then you become kind and considerate. In fact, guys, if you're single in here and maybe you don't look like Leonardo DiCaprio, I got some good news for you. All right, let me tell you, Proverbs 19.22 says this, kindness makes a man attractive. So you want to be attractive? i'm just saying you be kind you be you may be balding you may have a thick middle whatever you be kind i'm just telling you weak in the knees just saying all right how in the world do you think i got married anyway let's move on and then he goes on right love is patient love is kind love is not what jealous in fact other versions of the bible says this: love doesn't envy what does it mean to envy or to be jealous? Well, again, some of, you, some of your parents split up over this one. For some of you who maybe you're you, like a part of a divorced home, this is the reason why your parents split and tore apart. Because when, what jealousy or to be envious of somebody simply means that when I don't feel so good about me, then I can't let you feel good about you. If I don't feel good about me, then I cannot let you feel good about you. That's what it means to be envious or jealous. And again, uh, it's like this. When somebody tells a story, you've got to one-up them. Or when somebody, oh, I I, I preached to somebody. I heard that one. All right, when somebody says something here, or you know what, maybe I'd like to do this, you always think, I got a great clip from a comedian that I want to show you right now that's hilarious. Brian Regan says this, a lot about this, and he he talks about people like this, and he calls them me monsters. Y'all watch
1: this clip. Actually kind of quiet off stage, a lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently, a bunch of people that I don't know, one guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right, and then I, and then myself, right, me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. me, me. Wear the me monster so I tried to jump in with a little story I don't want to just sit there the whole night right when I'm done with my story this guy goes that ain't nothing <laughs> oh, well. didn't mean to waste everybody's time <laughs> telling my nothing story here let Marco Polo speak he's back with tales of adventure story ain't nothing maybe it wasn't because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled and I learned a lesson don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story because you ain't going nowhere the four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass Halt, halt with your two wisdom tooth tail you will never complete one trust me I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had um I had two but by- I had four pulled. Oh okay. yeah. <laughs> No five, no nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming in upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled him out with pliers. I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You You see that? Now I do.
0: Let me tell you. In marriage, isn't it true that so many times that's exactly what we're doing? There's you and there's me, and we want to win. We want to be on top. And single people, again, you got to be careful of this. When, you, when you're talking to somebody, guys, when you're talking and that girl is speaking, hey, you will never believe I one time caught a three-pound bass. Really? Three pounds, right? And, I mean, when she's saying the story, you don't say, well, I one time caught a 14-pounder. You, me, right? Or you don't say, you know what, my brother and dad, they're on the fishing channel. No, no, no. You just, you let her tell her story, and then you go, that was awesome. And you shut up. <laughs> right? I'm telling you. Married people. Let's talk about you and me, right? Because here's the thing. When your spouse is telling a story, well, you know, it, it, it was, I think it was about four years ago. No, it was six Six, excuse me, honey, you got that you got that wrong. If if he or she is telling a story, don't always correct them. Don't always do that. Right? I mean, it's not about that. It is about showing them, showing them honor. In fact, this is what Paul goes. He says, this. He says, it does not talk about love, it does not dishonor others. To honor someone simply means that you put somebody's needs in front of your own. To honor someone simply means that you put somebody first and you go second. But let me tell you what it means to dishonor someone. To dishonor means that if you're single, when it comes to this point, and when you date someone, that you never, ever, ever create regret. That you never, ever are part of somebody's regret story. That, you know what, I should have never answered the phone, I should have never done this, I should have, you know, I should have never talked to him, I should have never wrote down her number, I should have never went there. You never ever part of somebody's regret story, right? Now, it says this, keeps on going. He goes on, Paul says, it says, love is not self-seeking. You know what the opposite of self-seeking is? Others seeking. You see self-seeking means it's all about me. It's you, me. You, me. It's exactly right. But no other seeking means that you're putting you're honoring someone else. And again, a question. Does any of this come naturally? No, it does not. It does not. But you when, when you were dating, I mean, you wanted to do this, right? Because you wanted to win her. You wanted him to pursue you. And so you did this when you were dating, but when you got married, you just stopped doing this because you thought you found the right person. And then you realize this right person got some wrong stuff about them, right? Now, think about this. In marriage, you did this in dating, but in marriage, it just takes work. Marriage is work. Marriage is work. It takes effort. And let me tell you, in it didn't take a lot of effort when you were dating, but it does when you bury. And that goes us to our last marriage myth. That l- marriage myth number four is that love is just a feeling. Love is a feeling. Love is a feeling. If you define love as a feeling, then you're going to be upset when you don't feel that way anymore. Let me tell you, love is not a feeling. In fact, nowhere in this list that Paul gives us do you ever see that. Oh, it's a fe- it's love as butterflies. He never does describe that. He says, no, love is a decision. Love is a decision. That yeah, you may fall in love because you had the passion, the chemistry. Those are the feelings. But here's the thing about feelings: feelings are flighty. Feelings come and feelings go. But let me tell you, love, true love, it's a decision. It's a decision that, you know what, I'm going to be patient with you. Love is a decision that says, you know what, I am going to consider your needs above my own. Love is, you know what, I'm going to put your needs above my own. All right? And that is what it is. True love is a decision. You know what, the person who expressed the greatest example of love is our Heavenly Father. It's God. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul, the same person who wrote the whole 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, "But God demonstrates what? His own love. You want to know how the, the greatest demonstration of love that's ever happened is simply this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And here's the example. While we were still what? That means while when you when you were not at your best, but when you were at your worst. When, when, when God should have been the most impatient with you, that's when He showed you the most patience. That when we were at our worst, Jesus Christ died for us. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. I mean, Jesus wasn't the night before he was crucified, he didn't say, oh, gosh, I sure do love them, and I have these butterflies in the stomach, and I just can't wait to go to the cross. He didn't do that. In fact, what does the Bible say? It says, you know what, God, Jesus says, I don't think I really want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. You know what? Jesus put other people's needs over his own. Why? Because love is a decision. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. Now, here's the thing. We're going to end this, and I just want to give you two challenges. I want to give a married people challenge, and I want to give a single. If you're single, I want to challenge you. First, my challenge is to those who are married, and it's simply this. Quit trying to change your spouse. Oh. Quit trying to change your spouse and allow God to change you. You see, you think that the reason why you have all this conflict and problems is because you got married to him. He's got problems. You're right. Guess what? You've got problems as well. So you focus on your problems. You pray that God and him would focus on his, but you work on your junk. All right? So you make the decision to love. Not a feeling, but you make the decision that, no, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving. Some of you, you, married people, we treat love like a hostage exchange. Right? I'm going to start doing this if you start doing this for me. Uh Uh-uh. That's not love. That's being selfish. You put somebody else's needs above your own. So make the decision to love, and here's what I guarantee you. The feelings will come back. They will. Now, my challenge for you, if you're single, maybe you're single again, my challenge for you is this. You know the person you're looking for, right? I mean, you've got a list. you kind of got what you want characteristics in him or her to have. My question, my challenge for you, are you the person you're looking for is looking for? if I could just be really real and honest and blunt with you, that if you left the service today and you found Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, I mean, they had all of the qualities you've been looking for. And if you went out to them and they spent just a little bit of time with you, if I could just be brutally honest, some of you, if you met the right person, they wouldn't be attracted to you. Because you are not the person you're looking for, is looking for. Stop looking. Stop looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And intentionally start allowing God to change you so that you can become Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. And if you're married, dear Jesus, stop looking. Stop looking. You become Mr. Wright for the person that you married. You do that, and God will honor you.